Hello everyone and welcome back to Election Day. Today, I'm going to be talking about the rapid, wild, and widespread changes that have happened in the world of politics over the last week or two weeks or so. So really, it's been a totally crazy week in politics, and it's, it's really been a challenge to follow because so much has been happening. So first, let's talk about two important Supreme Court rulings. I don't want to go in-depth on this too much because it's pretty straightforward, but in case you haven't been keeping up with the news, uh, I just want to give a quick update on that. The first one is that the Supreme Court has ruled that in the Civil Rights Act, there's a clause that says that employer can, employers cannot discriminate on the basis of sex. The Supreme Court has decided that that also applies to the LGBTQ plus community. So that's a really big win for them. It means that, again, employers cannot discriminate against the LGBTQ plus community for their sexual orientation. The second one is that the Supreme Court ruled that Trump cannot get rid of the DACA Act, which is an Obama-era piece of legislation that says that that protects dreamers, that says if you immigrated to the U.S. at a very young age, they give you a certain degree of protection from deportation. The second piece of bombshell news was that John Bolton published his new book, The Room Where It Happened. So, national security former National Security Advisor John Bolton was a key figure in Trump's impeachment and the Ukraine scandal. And now that details from his book are being released finally, which I would say is actually a little bit too late considering impeachment is already over, but anyway, we're getting new details and he has a ton of allegations against Donald Trump. So, just to give a couple examples of little anecdotes, Trump solicited help from China to help with his re-election. So, that's what Democrats basically accused him of in Russia and Ukraine. John Bolton alleges that he did the same thing for China. John Bolton also said that Trump offered personal favors to dictators he likes. In that conversation with Xi Jinping, Trump also said he wanted to serve more than two terms as president. John Bolton also says that Trump wanted to quit NATO, which is the key alliance between the U.S. and its major allies. And I could go on and on, but I'm just going to stop there. This is very poor timing for John Bolton or anyone who actually wants to attack Trump. Because, I mean, impeachment's already over, so the only real effect John Bolton can have is enraging the Democratic base and pumping them up for the election in November, and maybe also swinging a few votes. Since essentially the point he's trying to deliver is that Trump is unfit to be president. Also, it's really questionable what can hurt Trump anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff in the book, but Trump is so good at just playing down things that would otherwise be very, very serious allegations, and simply eroding trust in accusations somehow. So yeah, it's really interesting to hear all these crazy, crazy stories from someone who was in all these moments and in all these meetings. The entire book is basically just Trump scandal after Trump scandal, 
it really backs up what I've been talking about, as in Trump's lack of awareness of the world and self-centeredness, even when it comes to the basic, basic principles of what's okay as a politician. However, it doesn't look like the book will actually have any practical implications. Since if he really wanted to have an impact, he could have testified before Congress as part of the impeachment trial. If he really wanted to make a statement, that's how he could have actually had effects, not right now in his book. And then there are the two stories that I'm really going to focus on. The coronavirus and the protests regarding the recent George Floyd incident and then other incidents of racial violence that have followed on from that. So first, I want to talk about how the coronavirus situation has developed because I promised to do that from season one. So I will give an update on how the coronavirus situation has changed now that I have a lot more information to work off of. First of all, and this is a very grim point to start off with, but America has almost given up on suppressing the coronavirus. America is not going to get there. America has passed 2 million cases. 2 million cases. That's a ridiculously high number. And at that point, it's impossible to truly contain COVID-19. You can't do it when it's already that widespread. And we also have to take into account that the U.S. is so ridiculously far behind on testing that the true number is actually probably closer to, if not above, 4 million cases. That means 1% of the U.S. population has or has had the coronavirus. That's one in every hundred people you know. And the U.S. is never going to stop that. It's already too late. The U.S. response was an all-around failure from the start. Like I talked about, it was a late response on the government's front. It was very loosely enforced as the federal and state levels did not cooperate properly. And there was so much resistance and disobedience just for the sake of not listening to the government that really did hinder the effort. And then, you know, because Donald Trump trying to downplay the coronavirus from early on, that politicized the issue. Opposing lockdowns and refusing to take coronavirus seriously has nothing to do with the core conservative ideology. There's no reason that Republican governors and Republicans should be the one trying to downplay this pandemic, it has no cause other than the fact that Donald Trump early on downplayed the virus. Somehow, in the U.S., the coronavirus has become only a democratic issue. And so it was all-around failure on every part, the politicization, the late and incompetent response to the disobedience of the public. It's almost childishly immature and selfish, the way that so many people are willing to pay such a high price just for the sake of not listening and doing what they're told and will protect their safety. That led to all-around health crisis, a societal crisis, and an economic plunge. So I also talked about this in the first episode, but the U.S. has been an utter failure by almost every measure. 
but we've already passed that. That's in the past. So now let's talk about what's going on currently and how we're going to move forward to ameliorate and improve this situation. So the first concerning situation is that as America has been forced into giving up on containing the coronavirus, people have also relaxed. People have started to take the coronavirus probably a little less seriously than they should, even though the situation really is not getting better. The really big thing is people are now going out again. A lot of states are starting to at least partially reopen and make plans to fully reopen at points that, you know, questionably might be too early. And I did complain about America not having a plan, and I'm very happy that a lot of states have started to make structured reopening guidelines. I think that'll help a lot. But I think it's important to realize that the coronavirus situation in America is not so much better than it was a month ago. And yet, people take it so much less seriously than they did a month ago. This I cannot understand. America still has a staggering number of new cases per day that has stabilized for the last month. And there's actually been a recent uptick as states have started to reopen. It's still very possible for the situation to get worse. So we need to accept how we allowed so much damage to already have been done and learn from that, and put in the necessary caution to minimize future damage. America has been forced into this situation. America is at a point where the coronavirus is everywhere. You cannot contain it. You cannot suppress it. But it's also at a point where attempting herd immunity and letting it go wild could have disastrous health consequences. I feel a lot of people have started to see all these cases and deaths and coronavirus as just numbers. They're not just numbers, they're human lives. And so I think there still needs to be a certain degree of respect for that. And people really have to recognize the degree of what's going on instead of just letting down. And while I'm not against the protests, I feel that part of those headlines and that news have played some role in it, it somehow contributed to causing coronavirus to be forgotten. Before the killing of George Floyd, every headline, all of society was focused around the coronavirus. And I'm not saying the protests are unimportant, but the protests definitely played a role in having coronavirus not be the headline and taking people's minds off that despite the fact that it is the backdrop for everything. So right now, the path for the U.S. going forward is about living with a new reality. This is phase two of the coronavirus. Our mindset and our strategy needs to be just as, if not more, cautious than before, but at the same time, we can't think about it as stringent measures or back to normal. Now it's about minimizing risk within daily life. It's unsustainable to either have everything shut down or, you know, back to normal life again.
we cannot simply reopen everything, and long-term it's also not sustainable to have a total lockdown either. Now it's about maintaining a certain degree of caution. And to me, that's the major development in the coronavirus. As much as it's labeled the coronavirus crisis, before it was a crisis, right now, it's not being treated as a crisis, and it doesn't necessarily have to be. It just has to be a constant danger that we live with and minimize. Because other countries have made big leaps. I mean, New Zealand now has zero active cases of the coronavirus, and other cases have also seen new spikes as they've reopened. But it's unquestionable that the U.S. is the only country in the world where coronavirus is such a big deal. So America needs to take a totally different approach. So that's the main thing I wanted to point out. America is entering a new and unchartered phase of how the coronavirus affects society, and it has to navigate it well by, number one, prioritizing public health first, but also finding ways to navigate the situation in a way that is both pragmatic and safe. So that's the third and main one. Basically what I'm saying is, of course we can't stay at DEFCON level 1 forever, so we need to change from the current state. But at the same time, we can't just be like, whatever, let's move on from the coronavirus, let it, let whatever happens hap happen. We can't do that because we have to fully understand the consequences of that. And we have to live being fully aware of the coronavirus and how we can minimize it in every possible scenario, putting that issue and our health at the forefront of every aspect of our lives and our society. Now, lastly, I want to talk again about the protests and recent incidents of racial violence. I'm going to stay consistent with this theme of a lingering issue suddenly changing the last week or so. And that is, I think you're starting to see the protests actually reap their effects. Support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I saw a YouTube video on an, on a YouTube channel called Let's Talk Elections. Great guy. Please go watch him if you haven't already. Um, but the YouTube channel, the guy was saying, in, in the recent month, support for Black Lives Matter has totally skyrocketed. The protests and always talking about and revealing the degree of discrimination and violence against black people, it does have effects. Support has really increased. A lot of states have and counties have passed new regulations and legislation promoting the safety and equality of and for black people. And the movement is only snowballing as we see more and more incidents along with the protests. And it's really captivating the entire world. Now the entire world is looking at and caring about the plight of the black American. So I think that's where one of the major changes has been. Now, now the protests are starting to reap their effects.
Another example of that is the media coverage now focuses less on the riots and paints it paints the protests and racial justice in a more positive light. And the other side of that change that has not happened just yet, but I do believe will happen soon, is the movement will eventually quiet down. No movement lasts forever. This is yet another chapter in the civil rights movement, and whenever there is a major incident against black people, these kind of existing tensions and discrimination boil over to produce these mass movements. I think there's a real parallel between George Floyd in 2020 to Emmett Till in the 1960s. And each time, some degree of change is achieved, like I just talked about. But the key thing is, how does this movement continue? How does it continue even after the flame dies down? And that's another way that it's entering a second phase. How will the Black Lives Matter adapt and continue even as the wide-scale attention and protests start to die down? Will this spark truly be a kickstarter for more Black Lives Matter initiatives yet to come? Will we really start to see a period of addressing the intangibles of the black experience, the inequalities and the fear that they have to live through? How will this period in time continue on to an extended movement? And that'll be really important, that people still continue to care, still continue to donate to organizations, whatever they do. It'll be very interesting to see how the movement continues, and I'll certainly comment about that again in the Season 2 recap. So then, what are the electoral implications of this? After all, that's what my podcast is about. So, as these developments are happening, how would this impact the elections? Well, personally, I believe it will certainly help Democrats, but it's not for the reason that people who wouldn't have otherwise blamed Trump now start to see him as an incompetent leader. That's not why. In a divided country, that's unlikely to happen. The reason why this will hurt Trump is it will give liberals who may not have voted more reasons to hate Trump. It'll inflame their passions and increase voter turnout among Democrats. It won't change anyone's minds but it will certainly add fury to the flame. And that's something that will help Democrats, you know, since they're a party that always suffers the downsides of low voter turnout. That could really frustrate Democrats. The coronavirus handling, as I predicted, it's not helping Trump for sure. Since if you're already against Trump, his behavior comes across as very reckless during these times. And then the racial protests that affects communities of color. Those are people that are typically liberal and typically, in general, tend to to dislike Trump's attitude towards them. And Trump's response to all of this, right, has not 
been something that would flip minority voters either. So I believe of all the recent developments, that'll be the real effect. It will increase voter turnout among Democrats. The other effect is it will change the issues that are at the forefront of the 2020 campaigns. So if we look at, again, Let's Talk Elections was talking about what are the issues voters care most about, and at the top was racial justice. That's an issue that Democrats push a lot more than Republicans. Another issue was health care, and in general, a wider social security net that you're really feeling a much bigger need for during the coronavirus. And then following on from that, just the handling of the entire coronavirus situation. As I talked about in, in, in a previous episode, Trump has not been leading a charge against this situation. Trump has been stepping back, delegating, even trying to deny the seriousness of the situation, perhaps even being counterproductive. And so those effects, just changing what voters look at and making democratic issues most central to the campaign, that'll certainly help them a lot, since you're seeing Trump's approval rating overall and of the coronavirus continue to fall down. It's things like, at his Tulsa rally, Trump was talking about how he wanted to decrease testing, because he thinks that will reduce the number of reported cases and make it look like he's doing a better job managing the situation. Those are the kind of things that are really hurting him right now. Because yes, he says that all the time, but unlike before, now the stakes are higher. That's it for this episode. Basically, my two main points are that one, regarding the coronavirus, we have to move forward in a way that is both sustainable in the long run, but also extremely cautious. And then secondly, regarding the Black Lives Matter movement, that the movement has achieved great success, but we also need to move forward in a way that can keep the movement going even after this initial spark fades down. Next week, I'm going to talk about the massive effect that Donald Trump has had on American politics, totally transforming the game, and how his effects will last even if he does lose the election in 2020, or ultimately leaves in 2024 if he wins. So for that, please tune in next Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, and every Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time to Election Day. Thank you very much for listening.